We interrupt this program for a special news bulletin. Hamburgers, the cornerstone of any nutritious What's the deal with airplane food? I'm Julia Child. Bon appetit. This is the Truth Ron Rape Podcast. Hello and welcome to a mini episode of True Prime Rib. I'm joined as always by the stellar storyteller Dana. Fuck yeah, <laughs> nailed it unlike her. Perfect. You as well as I'm joined try. by the research team, Stokes and Bernsey. Hey, what's up? Hi. Hey. And today is going to be a little different than what we normally cover. While it is food related, it's in a very unconventional sense. We are covering a man known as Peter Stump, Stoop, Stub, or Stumpf, depending on who you ask, or better known in his time and in history as the Werewolf of Bedburg. And one of our sources today that helped give us some insight to this prolific cannibal is the damnable life and death of Peter Stubb, an article translated from High Dutch in the late 1500s by George Borges. It's insane, like... Dutch is already hard to read, and when I read this article, it was 16 pages of ye old English, so, like... So, wasn't it, you said it was, um, originally, like, old Dutch, and then translated into German, and then translated into ye old English, and then you had to translate that into, like, nowadays. Yeah, it, it it's uh, <laughs> it's been a lot of translating, so some things may get lost. So pretty much the nuance has been deep fried. If there's any puns in this article, they're lost. Oh boy. So when was the first iteration written again? Uh, sometime around the late 1500s. And uh, it'll, I'll mention it again at the end, but there's only two existing copies of this uh, pamphlet in existence anymore. A pamphlet? Yeah. It, Holy it, smokes. It's like... I mean, that was, that was how um, most of writing started, actually. Books were... Um, books existed. They were just kind of a little bit more uncommon because people couldn't read. Um, yeah. Pamphlets existed more so as just like small iterations of like books and understandings of like the church and things like that yeah yeah book printing was largely done by monks before the printing press right uh, yes and and even after the printing press a lot of them were still pamphlets before they were books it, mm. it depends on what they were uh, working on like there was a lot of religious and scientifical and mathematical texts that monks would work on because they were the ones that had like large libraries so people would house their works with them but at the same time there would be also just like capitalists who wanted to put out their manifestos and they'd hire just people to copy their like manifesto word for word and send it out Alrighty then. Wait, what time period are we in? The 1500s. <laughs> capitalists existed back in that? I thought they came around with sure Adam Smith. Did. No, capitalists Bruh. have been capitalists around forever. Forever. The money, greed and money will always be one of, like, that's the driving force of civilization. It's terrible, and it's only gotten worse over time, but yeah. No, capitalism will that's probably not... reign until we cease to exist. 
Capitalism has existed. That's free markets and money. That's not capitalism. Capitalism Capitalism has existed for a while. You can make money off of your money and like land. Oh, you can. That's the thing. It's existed for a while, but becoming a widespread global ideology is really a modern day thing. I feel like this is out of the scope. It is out of the scope, but it's interesting to talk about. So, like, this in this time, it was feudalism and a struggle of power between kings and the uh, papacy or papacy, however you want to say it. I think it's papacy. papacy. I want to say papacy. Like, that makes the most sense to me. But, you know. I'm going to say papacy because it sounds it's pa- pompous. It's, it's papacy not as um, the, uh, the in-house Catholic here. It's papacy. Hmm. 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 Well, we better believe the Catholic, that, I guess. That, I've heard that word. You know what Catholics do a lot? What do lie. Catholics lie? Ah, they lie, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it funny how I knew the answer to that, too? <laughs> it's almost like you're but, Catholic. <laughs> ah, well. Um, no, it's, uh, I mean, if I am incorrect with the pronunciation, I'm, I'm deeply sorry not really though um i am sorry for my mispronunciation but that is what i grew up with so fair enough and i grew up in a like in catholic school so anyways continue tiernan oh don't worry i am so um to give a little background obviously during the 1500s in europe and parts of the middle eastern countries that were touching a witch and werewolf hysteria was actually sweeping through these countries, and the case and trial of Peter Stump, Stub, Stoof, whatever you want to call him, was a true testament to this craze. And to give some exposition on the hysteria, there were many trials carried out during this time that convicted citizens of witchcraft and wizardry, as well as some who were condemned as lycanthropes, or werewolves, acting as the denizens of Satan himself. And, I mean, we're all familiar with the witch trials, most notably what happened in Salem. Yes. Like. Yeah. They were also a thing in Europe. Well, Except yeah. Poland, which was Wiccan yes, at the time. They were, they were very much um, the... It's not as well known in, like, the Americas, but if you've obviously, like, Stokes and Tiernan, um, you've been to... Uh, Burns, have you been to Europe? I've never been to Europe before, no. Okay. Um, so I know Stokes and uh, Tiernan have both been to Europe, and I don't know how much it's talked about there, but definitely the Salem witch trials are talked about probably uh, most frequently. But yeah, no, the witch trials very much existed in Europe, especially Germany and the UK. Um, to expand on that, actually, um, it wasn't really seen as witchcraft. It was just paganism, really. But the Catholic Church and faith didn't enjoy yes. the fact that people were doing things outside of what they deemed uh, sinful or not. And so they made it a crime to basically be a pagan. And any sort of rituals they did, whether it would be a harvest festival and run around naked in a field and paint themselves with the blood of an animal and just, you know, celebrate their God, they had to go to mass and, like, be fully clothed from ankle to neck basically yeah that tracks sounds wonderfully religious that sounds about right 
don't enjoy any freedom, even though that's what God gave you. That it's reminds bull- me of Quake it's bullshit. It is bullshit. What does it remind what? you of, Stokes? A graham cracker. Why did- it was oh. invented to be as unpleasurable as possible. Because oh. the Quakers believe pleasure is a sin. Same with Kellogg's. Uh, that's what he was talking about. Uh, Kellogg's cereal, like cornflakes specifically, were started as an anti-masturbatory tool. Yes. <laughs> no one Wait, wants to wild. Want anybody fucking around. Dr. We... John Kellogg thought that giving people cornflakes would make them stop masturbating. I'm, I, I, I fail to see the logic behind that. I, was... I don't know either. He was like a Seventh Day Adventist, so like he, he was way out of whack already. Oh yeah. He thought like a hot bowl of oats was better than sex. You know. If anything makes me want to masturbate, it's. It's cornflakes. Frosted frosted flakes. Frosted flakes. Why? Because it's it's so good. They're great. Because Tony the Tiger is pretty fucking. Tony, pour some milk on my frosted flakes, daddy. Mm, Daddy. (laughs) Gross. We are so far away from what we were talking about. We're still on food, though. We're still on food, so it is related. (laughs) But like, it is so far from what we are on. Sorry. Wait, we were talking about food? No, we're talking about masturbating. Oh, sorry, I was thinking of something else. It wasn't me who brought us here. We were mm, just getting I'm pretty there. sure you mentioned Frosted Flakes. That is part of Kellogg, so... This is all Dana's fault. It always is. Anyways! Well, um... Because of these trials, there were hunts for witches and werewolves starting in the 15th century, and they would last long into the 17th century, bolstered by high-ranking church officials and their politics. And this was probably due to the church experiencing some loss of power over the masses after the Black Plague swept across Europe. And that kind of made the church look like a bitch, because... Uh, <laughs> They were saying that it was the will of God, but even high-ranking priests and clergymen were falling prey to the plague and dying. So it kind of <clears> opened <throat> uh, the masses' eyes to that. Not even your church, like your uh, advocates of God, are safe. So uh, why should I believe? And this kind of led to the Protestant oh. Reformation, and that began to take a huge hold over Europe as well, which thro- threatened the Holy Roman Empire. Yep. And the only way for the Roman Catholics to stem the tide of other religions was to either start a religious conflict like the Crusades or by the subsumption of local religions. And the like the easiest way they did that was they would adopt the local religion's gods and name them a saint. Oh, so they can be a mascot of a holiday? Pretty much. So yep. like... Uh, just a rattle pagan god off. Uh, Pona was a horse, like a f- goddess of horses and like fertility. And they're like, ah, oh, nah, she's a saint. She doesn't exist in your religion. Fuck that. And it's just like, oh, okay, sick. Right on, brother. Thanks for that, I guess. <laughs> I'm I'm pretty sure Saint Nicholas was also a pagan god. He was um somebody who would look after children and people in need. And um He wasn't even they, a god, he was a person. 
Well, yeah, he was a person, and then the Catholic Church kind of took him in and made him Saint Nicholas, um, who ended up becoming what we now know as Santa Claus. So that is where Santa comes from. It's from Saint Nicholas because he would if just look up the stories about Saint Nicholas and um it's basically Santa. So But I... my favorite part about just hang on. My favorite part about Saint Nicholas is that um not only is he the patron saint of children, he is also the patron saint of prostitutes. Ho 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 indeed. <laughs> you told me that the other night. <laughs> But yeah, um, for St. Nicholas specifically, um, he's Slavic in nature. Um, yeah. His actual name is Mikolash, and he was a huntsman who would dress in, like, red clothes, like, red uh, satin, like, furs, basically. That's where, like, the giant red suit with the, like, I guess, cotton or fur on the cuffs and everything comes from because it was, like, his warm winter clothing and stuff. And uh, he was a a, uh, huntsman of a small village, and they didn't exactly have orphans, but kids couldn't afford to get things during, like, what would be Christmas time for them because this was still during the time of, like, like, Christmas did exist at this point, but for different reasons. And he would go out and get little gifts kind of thing. Not like build toys, it but be, it, it would, would be like be candy gifts. and cakes and things like that. And he'd sometimes drop them off on the doorsteps. Coins? Sometimes it would be coins. Sometimes yeah, sometimes. Sometimes it would be money. Sometimes little gifts. Yeah, so it depended. Small favors, like things they could actually use back then. Not just like, here's a little wooden doll and like, oh, his elves must have done it. No, it's just like guys trying to spread a little cheer in his village. And then because the Catholics heard that, they obviously warped that and took the idea, and now we have Santa Claus. Yeah, like they, the... took, they took a um, a Slavic myth, maybe? I don't... What did you say that it was, Tiernan? Was, that a, was it a myth? Or like a legend or something? No, he Hopefully. was an actual person. Okay, yeah, so the Catholic Church took that, and then they made it their own and turned him into a saint. Even though that had nothing to do with Catholicism. Catholic Church was kind of like the original Disney. Just taking whatever they <laughs> yeah. wanted. Exactly. They just got to buy it, buy it all up. and Just uh, rebranding it under their own image. The tea. It's true, though. It's it is. True. Well, aside from subsumption, it could also be that mel- mental illness uh, was grossly misunderstood in those days. And was often seen as bewitchment or demonic possession. And it would lead to many false convictions of men, women, and children who could be accused of any anything under the sun. Like, oh man, like they're obviously in like hand in hand with the devil. They are um like obviously shape shifting werewolves and supping on the blood of the innocents. All because someone had a like nervous or mental breakdown out in public. And it I ended mean, with them being burnt at the stake. It's always the stake. Oh, so, man. Yeah, it's never a chicken, but you know. <laughs> historic historic <laughs> accounts of such trials and convictions, though, would start in Switzerland and soon spread as far as the Balkans. 
Church and royal courts would appoint judges who would make sure that werewolves were captured and tortured to the brink of death until a confession was extracted, and at which point a brutal execution was granted for the condemned. Peter Stump, however, was one of the first of many to be charged with lycanthropy. How... So being a werewolfy? Being a werewolf, so just being like a, super hairy. a sorcerer who would shapeshift into a wolf. And these powers had to come from the devil himself. Okay, so this was... This wasn't like the classic werewolf where the, the moon rises and you have no control. It's like in Harry Potter with like Sirius where he has the choice to change from Sirius into Padfoot. Yes, so it would be like seen as like druidism where they could take the shapes of animals at will whenever they okay. wanted. It's not affected by moon cycles or anything. Okay. That only came about through like storytelling like Bram Stoker's Dracula. Is that something you're going to tell us about in a little bit? No, I'm just saying okay. it someone took the idea of werewolves and really ran with it after the craze of uh like this craze okay sorry i just wanted to make sure that it was yeah no it yeah it's a good question to bring up but no they could shapeshift at whatever time they felt like so it was according to the church could, at least they yeah so that's what it sounded like that's why i was like oh can you just correct me if i'm wrong um so it was shapeshift at will not the moon is full in our room. Exactly. Like, okay. there, the full moon had nothing to do with it. And again, that would be a paganism belief, too, because they are very in tune with the lunar cycle. So it did extend beyond shapeshifting, and oftentimes people would also be accused of being a wolf charmer and leading packs of vicious wolves into villages to slaughter the villagers. And it got to a point that King Henry IV became so tired of all the chaos created by this hysteria and these so-called sorcerers and werewolves that he commissioned two knights to end this heresy. And these two men were Pierre de Lancre, a judge, and Jean de Spagnet, a polymath, which, for anyone who doesn't know the word, means man or woman not being a sexist, that has a wide extending knowledge spanning over many subjects. Man, woman, or a person. So a Peabody. All or our person. guys, gals, and non-binary pals. <laughs> well, uh, the polymath is not so much important in this story as much as the judges because, um, well, Judge Lancro is extremely pious and uh, violently effective, so to speak. No one was actually safe from him if he uh, decided that you were of evilness, so to speak. He saw alone saw to the execution of over 600 people in under three years. He was a, uh, he was a wicked, wicked, wicked man. Like, he was evil. And if you were to say that to his face, well, uh, you'd probably be one of those people of the 600. Dude That's was just working 200... his way up to the tactical nuke. That's 200 Yeah, he's trying to get the year. 25 kill streak. Yeah, man. 
What'd you say, Dan? That's 200 people a year. Yeah. And, like, I'm pretty sure those numbers aren't fully accounted for either. No. I'm pretty sure it's higher than that. Yeah, it's probably just known deaths. Yeah, it usually is higher. Uh, yeah, I mean, 600 is just a nice, easy, round number. There's no way it's that. Well, as uh, history shows us time and time again... The Jews are always to blame. So Judge Schlanker was widely anti-Semitic. Yes, yeah, says the Jew. Judge Lanker was widely anti-Semitic and blamed the Jews as well as the Basque for being responsible for the majority of these heretical magics plaguing Europe. It was also noted that Judge Lankra was brutal in his methods and quite possibly insane to the point he became obsessed with these occult magics. It was during torture sessions he would interrogate victims about their carnal encounters with demons, and the more the individual became tortured, the more clear and the vivid the false memories would become. Because of Lankra's work, brutal torture methods and burning at the stake were employed for those sentenced for lycanthropy. These brutal tortures often would be rat torture, the head crusher, or the iron chair. Is the rat torture the torture that I'm thinking of, or is it some other kind of torture? I think they kill your pet rat ahead. and you have to watch it. Yeah, you just have to watch your rat, yeah. and that's it. And you're just like, oh man. You cry. And you're just like, no. <laughs> you have to watch your rat. Okay, you guys are fucking with me. <laughs> no, it's exactly uh, no, what, what you're thinking it is. What do you think the rat torture is, Barry? Well, sorry to get all Game of Thronesy on you. It's the bucket. It's the bucket. It's straight up the bucket. Really. Where they like yeah, tie no. a bucket to your stomach and then heat up the bucket so the rat has to find a way to get out. And it picks the quickest and easiest way through, and you are the quickest and easiest way through. I think I remember watching that, and my lady Dasha was saying, like, that's real. That actually No, that existed. is actually real. That is a, that was, um... No, that, that, that is definitely exactly what it yeah. is. They didn't use a bucket, however. I'm not entirely sure what the device was, but it employs the same kind of tactics. They'd hold a torch near the bucket to make it warmer, and, like, it'd get to the point where the rat would brush against it, and it would be too hot, and it'd freak out. And so they'd have torches on all sides to just basically agitate the rat to the point that it would chew through your stomach. Yep. But the biting and nipping got so, like, frenzied that it was actually trying to claw through you, and that would be enough for people to speak Jesus before it Christ. actually got, like, it actually did any damage. But there there were some people of note in history that, like, did not succumb to the torture and, like, were, like, savagely brutalized by the rat, yep. which that would be a terrible way to go. Yeah having an rat um, eat its way through you um what hurt. were the other ones you said the head crusher and something else the iron chair okay so before we go too we... far when do we get to the part where we're eating <laughs> <laughs> oh no we're, we're getting to that the eating part comes don't worry <laughs> um so the head crusher is good. pretty self-explanatory they just put your head in a vice yeah, I figured. 
okay. That one, yeah. And like just turn turn a wheel yeah, no, and got it. you know. Nope, got until it. Until yep. if if you ain't gonna yep. nope. if you ain't gonna yep. talk, your head's gonna split like a melon. Ah! Guys pop out first. Yeah, and then the iron chair was a uh, chair adorned with a spikes. thousand spikes yep. basically and they would increase the weight on you until the spikes okay, ripped through yep. your flesh. Yep, that's what I thought it was. Oh man. Yeah. And those were some of the most common things. There was also being drawn and quartered, but they only really did that for prisoners. Uh, there was a Spanish donkey, which is where they'd tie weights around your legs and hang you over a wedge until oh. you were split from the groin to your sternum. Oh, oh my god. Um, one that is uh, disputed nowadays is the brazen bowl, where they had a giant oh, bronze uh, bowl yep. and they'd light the fire just underneath about it. This one. Sorry. What movie that, was that? That in? was not a form of torture. It didn't exist. That never no? existed. That mm. that's misinformation. Fake news. It would fucking work though. I bet. Uh, it, it. There was no way they could actually have a little horn, so when the person would scream through it, what? it would come out as like a bull. What whinnying, movie was so. that again? Which one? With the exactly what we're talking about. With the, the brazen bowl? bowl. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's in a movie. Never seen it, if there is one. But uh, yeah, no, uh, the brazen bull never existed as a torture device. Is um getting drawn and quartered kind of like, there's a name for it, but it's like you get your stomach cut open and you nope. get your like insides, no. like your nope. guts strewn about. pulled no, in no, four separate directions. That's just disembowelment. But they do so it in a specific draw, way. Drawn quartering is one like each limb so your yeah, arms and you're... legs are tied to a horse right and then they yell they're but... each sent off in yeah, different directions and, and you're you ripped apart. apart oh my god yeah uh, but the one that i'm thinking of and this is a very unique form of torture is where they would uh cut you open and then they would basically hang your guts and make you look like an angel i guess with your guts I can't remember where it's right. from. We're getting um, <laughs> No, nah, no, we're, it's just perfectly on track. Like this is forms of torture that the Catholic Church did employ to sure prisoners did. to make them speak. Um, it what you're talking about, I'm not sure if the Catholic Church ever used, but historically there is one that the Vikings did that's similar. It's called the Screaming Eagle. Yes, so basically, that's it. They would take their axes and cut down the sides of your spine and rip your rib cage open from the back and hang your lungs on the back of your ribs like wind. Yes, that is it, actually. And, You're right. And if you screamed anything throughout, like, throughout any of this, you would not enter Valhalla because you weren't dying a warrior's death like you were showing signs of weakness. Oh, man. So, like, that that was a brutal, uh, it wasn't even torture. That was just kind of something they did to their, like, enemy tribes, so to speak. Holy crap. Yeah, tor torture has come a long way, like, and we found more brutal methods that are, I wouldn't say more effective, because torture has never been effective, but, um, you know, less brutal, but still at the same time, causes mass amounts of pain. Either way, um, from that, it all came to a head, though, when uh, Lankra's methods were viewed as 
far too torturous and brutal, and he was effectively removed as a judge, and his remaining trials would be dismissed. And a quote from Lancre himself denotes that uh, any moral slight was surely worth of torturous scrutiny. And his quote reads, To dance indecently, so wet-ass pussy would definitely get a lot of people tortured, apparently. Uh. Eat excessively, make love diabolically, commit atrocious acts of sodomy, blaspheme scandalously, avenge themselves insidiously, run after all horrible, dirty, crudely unnatural desires, keep toads, vipers, lizards, and all sorts of poison and precious things, love passionately amongst a striking goat, caress it lovingly, associate with and mate with it in a disgusting and scabrous fashion. Are these not the uncontrolled characteristics of an unparalleled lightness of being and of an exorable inconstancy? That can all be expiated only through the divine fire that justice placed in hell. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> so this man was an absolute that fucking nutter. Like a fucking like that sounded actually really good. Like that just needed a solid beat, and that would be good. Yeah, spitting fire. Oh my god! He was actually spitting fire. Yeah, well, we'll get a mumble rapper to. Uh... Just read over that, and it'll be a hit on TikTok. No, oh, no. good drill rapper. No, don't don't shame on what was good. Oh, I'm not shaming anything. I'm just saying, like, someone will make that into like an actual beat, and it'll be like a little TikTok voiceover thing for the next month. Now, as Stokes pointed out, when do we get to the cannibalism and the food <laughs> part of our uh, story? All of this is actually very important to the story of Peter Stump for his stint as a quote-unquote werewolf was notably savage as well as his trial also ended in a vicious execution. So we'll, uh, we'll touch on the man himself now. He was a man born in the mid-1500s, sometime around 1560, and not much is known about his formative years, But later on in his life, Stump grew up to become a very successful and wealthy farmer who had two kids and was assumed a widow. When mentioned by locals, they would often regard his amiability and his success. Like, he was well-liked within his community. Like, he had money, he was doing well, he had a family, a wife. Like, he was the the German dream sort of thing at this point at the time but someone so wicked and disparaged quickly became somewhat of a local celebrity but why was this well-liked man also accused of being a werewolf well during peter stump's adult years bedberg was a part of a now falling apart holy roman empire territory and a massive upheaval was taking place protestants and catholics were at war with each other No surprise there. They still are. Uh, Minor royalties and street gangs also were in constant power struggles, and quite recently, the area where Stump resided faced the end result and devastations of the Cologne War, 
also known as the Sewer War, which later would devolve into the Thirty Year War. So this place just kind of sucked to live for wars, at least. Sounds like it. If it's not one thing, it's another. You know, just like uh, it's living in the MCU. One thing after if you another, don't have all shit all the time. If you don't have aliens uh, terrorizing your uh, New York City, then you have the Avengers just like destroying your office building. It just sounds like living in the year 2020. Pretty, pretty much. But like, could you imagine living in the MCU? Like your reasons to call in sick or leave work early or be like, uh. So Iron Man just flew through the office and killed half of like the design team. So I'm just gonna take the day off. <laughs> yeah, but like, imagine being in that world too. Shit like that would be a Wednesday, and it wouldn't be a good enough reason to. I feel like that would be a good enough reason, though. But in the MCU, it wouldn't. In be the because MCU, it happens too often. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh no, the Hulk just punched out the foundations of the building. Well, luckily we saw this and we bought another building just down the street. Everyone evacuate and go back to work. (laughs) So I was walking home and um, Thor's hammer almost fucking smoked my face. Like, I'm going home. I'm not coming into work. That thing almost, like, took me out. Can you imagine how not many a, people? Not a good enough reason. Can you imagine how many people Thor's hammer has like smoked on its way to him? I mean, like, there's a meme about it, but uh, <laughs> in the first Avengers movie where he's fighting the Hulk on the giant like floating skyship, and he just calls for his hammer. It's like, where was his hammer if it wasn't on his person? And how much destruction did it wreak? Like. Amongst them being attacked by Loki and other things, like, his hammer had to smash through, like, a hundred walls and maybe almost, or did kill people just so he could uppercut the Hulk in the chin with a hammer. Yeah, it did go through some cargo on that loading bay, or loading dock. (laughs) Yeah, like, it destroyed a fighter jet coming to him, so, like, how much other destruction did he do just to do that? What if he leaves it in, like, China? creates like a volcano in the middle of san francisco well either way so getting back to uh the cologne war the conflict that sparked this war was that of two religions obviously protestant and catholic and these factions warred over the principle of and this is a, a hard word and i'm gonna try to say it as good as i can ecclesiastical reservation this principle stated that territories of the holy roman empire were reserved under the application of cuius regio ius religio or whose rule his religion this determined that the principal religion of an area if a ruler were to convert to protestantism then he would be forced to step down instead of causing his subjects to convert to his religion. And as you may have guessed where this is going to go, a young prince of... a young electorate prince, Gebbard, 
also an elected archbishop for the Holy Roman Empire, did not wish to step down and instead wanted to convert his subjects to Protestantism. And this sparked conflicts far, far, far within the Roman papacy. This started the war, which had three distinct phases, basically. It caused localized feuding between Gebbard supporters and core Catholics of the cathedral chapter. Number two, between Gebbard and his opposition of his, or his opposition Ernst, both having standing armies warring and rampaging through the southern territories of Germany, which ended with Gebbard seeking refuge in Westphalia. And three, the siege of Westphalia, which began a month-long siege with Bavarian cannonades failing to break their walls, so they had sappers tunnel underneath their fortifications and use explosives to try and blow the wall apart from underneath, which proved pretty unsuccessful. So they actually had to crawl into the sewers, hence the sewer war, and secure the fortress. And this became the turning point that would ultimately lead to Gebbard being forcibly removed from his position and replaced with Ernst. And, like, I know you're saying, like, what does all this history got to do with it? Well, uh, the war is important because it's so close to home to Peter Stump's that um, a lot of people were turning up dead or missing, and it wasn't soon after that rumors and whisperings of a werewolf terrorizing the surrounding area began to spread. And the creature was all often described as wolf-like, half-man, half-wolf, with a greedy look in its eyes, and strong might, sharp, vicious fangs, mighty paws, and a large body. And it got so bad that villagers and merchants would soon begin to roam in armed bands between towns to ensure safety and that sometimes wasn't uh wasn't enough that they would actually find freshly mangled corpses along the countryside and this elevated the terror amongst the local populations and soon they would turn to any avenue for help against the monstrous plight that they faced. And this help would come from none other than the church itself. And the church, seeking any course it could to ensure the Holy Roman Empire, Empire had footholds still within their ecclesiastical territories. Thus, they hired werewolf hunters. And... To me, that's just so far-fetched. So they had some straight-up Van Helsing-type shit. That's pretty badass. It is badass, but it's also stupid as hell. But yes, it was exactly Van Helsing I mean, but they, they... This was at a time where they couldn't prove things. Like, it... It's so... It seems so far-fetched to us, but when it appears in front of your face... And it seems like factual evidence. How can you disprove that? How can you dissuade that? Like, yeah, maybe all of this is just like he was just putting and like sticking stuff on him and like making all of this happen. 
maybe he was actually a werewolf. Like, who really knows? But when it appears in front of you and you try to, like, imagine running into a werewolf and coming up to us and being like, I saw a werewolf. Everybody would be like, "Mm -mm." okay, so how many mushrooms did you take? No, he has Parkinson's now. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, jeez. Jesus. But you, like, you understand what I mean. It. No, no, but like, could you imagine nowadays if the church tried to do shit like that? It's like they get a posse together. They're all clad in armor with silvered weapons and whatnot. They are. They're doing that with pedophiles. Wait, what? I mean, if they were hunting pedophiles like this, they should televise it. Oh, and make it an ESPN oh no, the, sport. no, they're like, they're, that cov- would be no, hilarious. they're they're covering it up the way that they do with all of the other shit. They're just like, no, this doesn't exist. Right. Okay. I thought you I'll said they were hunting down. If, where- <laughs> they were hunting yeah, down. If they're hunting down pedophiles with bands of people all armored with swords and shit, like I would watch that. Yeah, it's me like, too. Dateline meets Deadliest Warrior. <laughs> Chris Hansen comes out, like, fully armored. He's like, I suppose you're wondering why you're here. And all of a sudden, like, the pedophile turns into a werewolf. And, like, the door gets Arroo! kicked in. And, like, and it turns like, into a javelin The Van Helsings contest. come through the door just to get this pedophile. <laughs> now that's that's television. But, uh, no... You are right with the Van Helsing part. Um, they were armed with their holy symbols, bloodhounds, and their weaponries imbued with silver. And any trail or lead of a missing child or person was brought to these hunters' attention, and every effort was exhausted trying to capture and kill the creature. But according to them, the creature had evaded its pursuers for several years. It was... It wasn't until about 1589 when the wolf was ran down and encircled by the men and hounds. But when they moved in for their kill, the wolf was nowhere to be seen, and instead they found Peter Stump in its stead. Now there's mass confusion as to whether the group saw the wolf transform into what was Peter Stump, or if he just had the gross misfortune of stumbling across the hunting party as they were closing in on their prey. But the church was not one to come back empty-handed, so the party was upon Stump and shackled him up and escorted him back to Bedburg, where he was threatened with torture. It wasn't noted what methods were to be used upon Stump, only that they were vicious as... Vicious methods were needed to treat a vicious beast. Before any torture could actually happen, though, Stump confessed. And he confessed to murdering 13 children, two pregnant women, and one man. And that was only the beginning. He went on to explain that his to his captors that at the age of 12, he made a pact with the devil himself. His soul in exchange for worldly pleasures. And that wasn't enough to satiate Stump, who was a wicked fiend, pleased with the desires of wrong and destruction, inclined to blood and cruelty. He visited the Prince of Lies a second time to renegotiate his pact, 
and the devil produced a belt that, when worn, would turn Peter Stump into a bloodthirsty monster. With the belt donned, Stump began his killing spree, lost in the reverie of shedding blood, eating unborn children ripped from the wombs of mothers, tearing the hearts from his victims while they still beat, and he also confessed that he killed and ate his son that was born from an incestuous relationship with his quote-unquote fair daughter. He allegedly also laid with a she-demon and a good Christian woman. His mayhem didn't stop there either. He would roam the countryside and kill livestock, eating them raw and drinking their blood like bottomless mimosas at a Sunday brunch. <laughs> fucking <laughs> Christ. Why? Oh my god. Of course, though, being a farmer, he never killed his own animals. As the old adage goes, don't get high off your own supply. Or in this case, don't eat your animals, viciously cannibalize your competition's livestock. Yeah, I mean, yep, yeah, same same thing, I guess. Same planet, sure. different worlds. All right. It, it, it totally applies, guys. Near the end of the diatribe, though, he ended with how he took sickening pleasure in the fact that he wandered amongst the locals, inhaling them heartily, and they would greet him back, not knowing that it was him responsible for their missing loved ones. Awesome. That doesn't sound like some, like, Ted Bundy, um, Jeffrey Dahmer, sociopath, like, just, mm, mm. that sounds terrifying as fuck. So what kind of seasoning what? did he use? <laughs> you know what? what? Fuck, well, I've, dude? I've thought the same thing. Like when a cannibal uh, eats their like their victim, do they do they season them? Like, and what kind of spices go best with the human body? Yeah, like are you just in are you just in go mode? Like do you just like fucking yolo it? Wow. Or do you I actually mean, like bring a little bit of salt? According to firefighters, uh, burning human smells like barbecue pork so and according to some uh actual cannibalistic tribes um they say asian people this is from what i've read and heard asian people take taste fairly fishy whereas caucasian people taste um very salty we taste greasy yeah, we fuck. taste greasy and salty Okay, so a nice uh, maple bacon rub. Gotcha. <laughs> exactly. Um, there was also a scientific study done not too, like, recently, but close enough. Uh, lions do, like, land mammals love the taste of human because we have salt in our diet where they don't. So they take down a good, like a deer or something, and then like that's sustenance. But apparently, because we have salt in our diet, we taste so much better to them. But according to like shark bites and attacks, sharks fucking hate the taste. Yeah, of they hate us that we taste disgusting to them. I don't think sharks need any more salt, so that's probably why. Probably yeah. that's the thing. No, you know. Stokes, you might be onto something. I think I they're, think I just solved the whole food chain. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they're living in an environment that has as much salt as the online Call of Duty community. <laughs> as the five-year-old Fortnite community. <laughs> mm. Well, 
So that's when we play um, Overwatch. Oy. Oh, boy. Oy. Well, punishment for these crimes entailed that Peter would have his body laying on a wheel with a red-hot pruning pincer pulling his flesh from his bone. And after his okay, arms one were more to be broke, he was laying through the spokes of a wheel with red-hot pincers pulling his flesh from his bones. His arms were broken with a wooden axe, ah. and his head was cleaved from his miserable body, and his body burnt to ashes. Ooh. And, due to their association with no discernible evidence, his daughter Beale Stump and his mistress Catherine Trumpen were burned at the stake with his ashes under the guise of bewitchment from Satan and being accessories to murder to the werewolf of Bedburg. So do they eat him to gain his power? It's like I had like some serious sneak skills. <laughs> they, they, should, they should have, but you know, like that was lost on them. Uh, news. The Highlander movies weren't made yet. Too bad. With all of this in the, the past, though, <laughs> today's psychiatrists believe that uh, Stump was most likely afflicted with clinical lycanthropy, which was brought on through a cultural manifestation of schizophrenia, which also was associated with bouts of psychosis and grandeur delusions, hallucinations, as well as disorganized speech and untempered behavior. And this could be the truth for countless people put on trial for similar, similar maladies. Yep. It's also believed that Peter was brought up on charges for political reasons, that he was a Protestant convert and was to be made an example of by the Holy Roman Empire under false pretenses. And after his death, the land would belong to the papacy and they would reap the wealth that he had built. Whatever, though, may have happened 432 years ago remains in the past, and it is left entirely up to speculation and one pamphlet, of which only two copies are left in existence today. Where are that these copies? Yeah, I was about to ask. Is the story. Um, one is under the, or in the British Museum of History, and the other one is somewhere in the Netherlands. I can't remember. Okay. But that is the story of the werewolf of Bedburg. Yay! Yay. <laughs> that was a good that story. Was that was fun. Fun for the whole family. <laughs> I don't think parents want their kids listening to this. Uh, that was fantastic. Thank you, Tiernan, for that uh, that joyous ride. That was really good. The funny, the funniest thing about this: this isn't the only instance of like werewolf cannibalism during these times there's about four or five other very prolific uh instances yeah werewolves have been around a but long time even before the 1500s th this one was one of the first that really kick-started uh the hunt for the werewolves so I figured it would it would be a good start, and it falls in line with what we were doing because we just finished up on uh, ancient Rome, which will lead to the Holy Roman Empire starting to spread its influence across Europe, and also like religion does influence people's eating habits and what they can and can't eat, 
and how they can eat it. So I felt this would be a little little uh palate cleanser, so to speak. Well, it was very cleansing. <laughs> well, <laughs> religiously so. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's just the way you, it was just the way you said it. I'm sorry. Wow, this is fun. This is good it's fun. like it one fun. of those juice cleanses, except it's uh, the blood of livestock and apparently women that are pregnant, children, and one man. <laughs> yeah, that 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 part kind of messed me up. The idea that the the the, the child is ripped from the womb. Of the mother. Uh, reading through the pamphlet, he went into very, uh, very long detail about uh, ripping out the unborn child. So I kind of uh, very paraphrased. Yeah. Um, I know that uh, if there are any vegan listeners, they're going to comment on that. Just look up um, taking baby animals away from their parents because I know it's going to be in the comments at some point. Um, and that shit is actually very upsetting and very disturbing. Um, I still like eating animals. Sorry. Um, and I will also say that, um, vegan and vegetarian diets are not something that everybody can afford. I'll also point out this because as a child, I confuse them often. Episcopalian and pescatarian are religion. two different things. It's a religion. One's a religion, one's a and dietary one is thing. Who only eats fish? Yes. Pescatarian is and the fish one. Yes. Yeah, pescatarian is the fish one. Episcopalian is the religion. Yes. And I only as eat a young religious child. People. Yeah, I only eat. <laughs> I only eat Episcopalians. No. Uh, as a kid, I said I was Episcopalian because I fucking love fish, and my dad just looked at me as like, um. What? No, you're not. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I only eat fish. He's like, that's pescatarian, you idiot. And I was like, no, it's Piscopalian. And like Google did not exist at this point. And I don't know where the fuck I heard Piscopalian as an eight-year-old, but I did. And it took a long time to convince me otherwise. Yeah, because my mom is a pescatarian. Like, she only eats fish... Uh... Well, of the protein, she only eats fish. For the most part, she's also a vegetarian. Wow. I gotta say thank you for everyone tuning into this week's episode. It was pretty grotesque and (laughs) not in tune with the normal flow of what we do, but it keeps in pace with our timeline. I'll be a little ahead of where we're going to pick back up. Uh, I just kind of find these historical events and crimes really fascinating. And I just wanted to share it with people because I thought it was uh, an interesting part of the time. Uh, Also, it's not the only one. If you search up the brutal truth of the werewolf trials, you'll find hella more, like a lot more. A big thanks to the three of you for listening to the story as well as giving your input here and there and for helping out with some ideas for what this week's episode would have been. Thank you for having us. Thank you to Bernsey and Stokes always for providing little notes here and there 
over research. Yeah, Stokes Arones, now that you're here, thank you for helping me on that last episode. You were amazing. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, I didn't do much this time around, but I'm always happy to be a part of the project. You have been. Absolutely. Uh, Thank you for even giving us sources to even read into. That helps more than you know. Uh, For listeners, if you find a fascinating historical event that relates to food or a, like, historical food crime where food or some prime motivator was involved, please drop us a line at trueprimepod at gmail.com. That's T-R-U-E-P-R-I-M-E-P-O-D at gmail.com. From all of us at True Prime, have a good night, and don't forget to be wary of your one-armed neighbors. (laughs) Which I forgot to mention. So, with Peter Stump, <laughs> he was a one-armed farmer. Oh. And there was actually... There's uh, a joke there. There, that That's the thing, is we're not sure if it was a pun or just cruel fate that he was one-armed and named Stump. There were sources that say his name might have been Abel Griswold, but <laughs> it's, not con- it's not confirmed. I want to believe that his name is Peter Stump just because it's cruel that way and funny. And that's probably no, why. Oh, it's even better if it's able. Oh, man, it's so good. Time plus tragedy like equals Stump. comedy, man. That's fucking brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you and have a lovely night. Cheers. Good night. Cheers. Bye bye.